podcast in the world from WWE to DNA Impact by way of the NWA. It's time for Reffin' It Up with legendary referee Brian Hepner and guest host, Mr. Reffin' Rant himself, Jimmy Corderas. An all new episode starts in this. Is revving it up. Welcome back to Reffing It Up. I am RJ. I am joined by the two greatest professional wrestling referees of all time. First and foremost, from the great White North, Mr. Jimmy Corderas. And Mr. Brian Ebner. Brian, what's up, man? Hey, boys. Not a lot. Um, this is a very, very unique situation um, uh, that we have going on here tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, as you listeners have no clue what's been going on. But uh, RJ has lost power in that shit town that he lives in. Uh, <laughs> and he couldn't do anything. So, of course, we had to figure out something because no one doesn't want to hear from EC3. Um, and... Lord behold, here comes Mr. Superman, my man, Daniel Spencer, came in for the save. So not only would I like to welcome in Jimmy, but I would also like to welcome in Daniel Spencer as well. And I will let Jimmy be on the floor first before we bring in Daniel. And that's why this is all hectic and sounds like a bunch of crazy shit going on right now, because it is actually. Yeah, thanks. Uh, It's great to be here. And and I understand uh, I'm just on the other side of the lake from RJ and we're getting Mm -hmm. it up here. But now we're getting that it's a. We got a rain warning, believe it or not, of all things in January in Canada. It's it's insane, man. This weather is just absolutely yeah. insane. But again, big thank you to Daniel for jumping in here and 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 saving the day, bro. Our good brother in stripes. What can you say? I, I was not ref for the year, but I'm ref for the day, right? That's what. I- <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, it works honestly. though, right? Hey, hey, I, I was more. I was happy I was able to do it. Out where my schedule is open as well. So, um, and uh, I, I loved coming on and talking to you guys and having a good time. And plus, working, I've worked with T3 a lot in the last year and a half. So, it's kind of a, it kind of makes sense for me to be, to be, to be the night too. So, it, uh, it's pretty cool. And, uh, so thank you guys for having me on. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. Well, Daniel, yeah. you got, hold on. Daniel, you got honorable mention. What the fuck do you want? I did get an honorable mention. Yeah, I did. I did. I appreciate that. Actually, no, you, the ref, by the way, we'll, we'll, I'll just say that real quick. The rest of the year were, were absolutely correct. I agreed with who you said. Right there. Definitely the rest of the year and not, and not broken. Uh, and I would have probably been in there as well, which you all did. So it's, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, I was, I was not disappointed in y'all's, in y'all's decision. I knew y'all would pick the right ones anyway. So, uh, I don't know about that Jared Fritz guy that you've mentioned though. I don't know about him, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's all about the look brother. Right? Yes. Yes. We've had a conversation about that look and I was like, yes, uh, he, um, he, he knows what he needs to do, but Hey, let it Jared be Jared. He's, he's still a good ref bottom line, regardless. Yeah. Well, well, speaking of ambiance, so I can actually show you what actually I'm have. I don't have candlelight. I actually have my son's to shark lantern that he's had since he was like three years old. Well, it's my freaking light. Well, RJ, you've always been in the dark, so you need a little light. So that's fine. It's a pretty one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, something like that. I won't oh, even. Yeah. And, I'll just take it. And since you. 
since since you brought up the the weather situation, if by some reason you see me disappear out of the blue, for uh, it's probably because we had the same sort of situation as you there, uh, RJ. So uh, yeah, it's, it's because coming, it, it, yeah, it's coming they're, they're, north, so that's a problem. Yeah, eh, and that's where I am. <laughs> hey, yeah. I'm not going to yeah. not gonna lie to you. Same situation here too. So we uh, need to hurry going. So with that being said, let's, let's yes. Count one, please. Thank you. This is your one count. This past week, uh, we saw a lot of people making a lot of movements throughout the wrestling world. We saw Deanna Prazo, somebody that you guys are very familiar with, uh, become all elite. Um, you know, it was always a scuttlebutt, Brian, that, you know, okay, she's in talks. She's in talks with. Um, WWE, she's in talks with this person, she's in talks with that person, but she officially became all elite and made her debut in her hometown, home state, that is, of New Jersey last week. Uh, but Brian, man, I, it, what are your thoughts on Deanna going to uh, AW officially? Um, honestly, I believe that AEW may have their best hire they've had in a long time as far as the uh, star power and as far as being a super major star she is amazing um I'm, I'm 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 so happy for her and i know that this was not something that um probably tna at this point would have loved to have signed her i don't know what happened there um and it's not my business and it's probably about money it's probably about change she probably was ready for change as well uh, but she did so much in tna to build her stock and now she's getting paid very well and she's doing on a, a, a higher level and she deserves it. She really does. And she's really going to change that division, the women's division that is around quite a bit and probably quickly because she is that good, that good. And um, I could be happier for her. You know, uh, you know, to be honest with you, Brian, I agree with everything you said about the Ana Perrazzo. Great job. Tremendous. My only concern is how AEW utilizes that women's roster because they do have a hell of a women's roster. There's no doubting that. There's a, no complaints. about The only complaint about the women's roster is they don't get showcased enough. And yes, they do have a lot of male talent in this, across the board. They have three television shows now and so on and so forth. But on their biggest platform, which is Wednesday nights, we don't see enough of the women and you know every you don't i'm not saying every week you have to showcase yeah you, know, you know 6 12 women or whatever the case may be but do some stories there where you get the people invested in the women's division and now that you have someone like a Diana Perazzo showcase her make people care about her because she is so, she's a talent that people will get behind yeah absolutely i i'm i'm to the moon on on this i, I yes i'm I wish she stayed with us at TNA, but my goodness, she's probably one of the best female talents out there. And uh, I, that's what I tweeted out, the very best, because she's amazing. And I uh, could be more happy, and I, I do hope uh, Tony Khan realizes what they ha what he has and um, utilizes her to the best of – because she can do practically anything you put, her, you, you put out there for her and uh, showcase her and let her be the star that she is because she is absolutely a superstar. I also agree with Jimmy so much on this. It's really all there for AEW. It's up to AEW to drop a ball. I mean, that's basically what it is. 
Because here's the thing. They have a star, a star, and then they can make even a bigger one. It depends on how they use her. It depends on what storyline they put in. And if AEW drops the ball on this one, man, I mean, it, it would just be uh, a sad, sad day that they'd sign her, to be honest with you. I mean, because the thing is this. She's there. They need to put her in something compelling and make a big storyline and make her a big deal, like you said, Jimmy. And that's got to happen. And that only happens at the top. So, Tony, put her over, man. Put her in something yeah, I, Or as I like to say, I don't want to see her get ward load. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. That, that's another whole conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. And we, we also, the other side of it, too, is there's another person there in the women's division of professional wrestling that's been getting a lot of talk uh, as well has been Mercedes Monet, a.k.a. Sasha Banks, um, is, according to the Wrestling Observer, that is, uh, she's expected to debut soon on AEW TV, uh, but it, it still remains to be seen. She's asking for, I don't know the specific numbers, so I don't want to give them, but she's ask, asking for a good chunk of change per year. Uh, but I wanted to get a little more context into this, um, that Eric Bischoff actually talked about this on his show this past week. Um when he was asked about um, what uh, Mercedes might do for the AEW business, he said, uh, I quote, nothing. I mean, how many times have we seen big names from WWE to AEW and people speculating about how it's going to impact the business and what's going to happen and nothing happens. It doesn't matter who you bring in there. I made the comment and I'm going, I'm going to make it again. AEW is quickly becoming TNA. Um, Brian, that's somebody that's a time frame when you were there with TNA, when Eric Bischoff was there and the Hogan era came through and all that stuff. First, with that comment, what are your thoughts on that? And then secondly, obviously Mercedes going over to AEW um, potentially. I mean, honestly, I actually agree. 100%. Um, I, you see stars that go over there, such as CM Punk. You see stars that go over there, such as Adam Copeland. You see, um, you know, just many people that have gone over there. And it, it's right now, the problem with AEW, which, by the way, I want to reiterate so people don't get all over my Twitter feed and start fucking with me. Um, it's I love AEW. I, I want it to do well. Okay, but right now they're in a booking situation where they don't know what to do with talent, a.k.a., as Jimmy just said, Wardlow. Um, this can be something or nothing, but it's up to AEW. And I don't think that the, the way things are right now, it's it's going to be mind-blowing and, and, and shattering anything rating-wise or anything like that. I, I just think that it's just another name to pick up that everybody's excited about, talks about for about, I don't know, a week or two, and then it's over with, and then that's that's that, that's that. As far as bringing up the TNA thing, um, in my opinion, he's talking about the TNA that he was in when he was there. Um, so not really fair to say right now that that statement means the present. I think what he means is the TNA before. And, correct, correct, correct. Yes. Okay, and, and, and quite honestly, in my opinion, I love you, EB. You know that. Uh, but I also think that a lot of that was – 
your fault too. So no, just being no. and out in a bad way. I just think that that was all handled very, very poorly. And, and, and yes, it is reminding me of the old TNA. Yes. But I do agree with it. No, I agree with those comments too. But as far as, you know, uh, Mercedes Monet, will she make an impact? Sorry for the pun there. Uh, you know, old man, dad jokes. What can I tell you? Uh, but but will, will she make a difference there in AEW? See previous comments regarding Diana Perrazzo. Again, it's that women's division that doesn't get showcased enough. And now you're you're even, ah, uh, man, you're you're cluttering the field even more. You know, again, you. you there's not enough room on the television or somebody is not giving them enough time of day. Let's put it that way to, for the audience to get invested in characters. And yes, you can have, as I have to mention this move every week, you can have all the twisting, burning 450 hammer Phoenix splashes you want in the world, but people get invested in characters and in personalities and in talent. And then you can do those big moves, whatever. But again, like I said, with Diana Perrazzo, will Mercedes Monet be showcased enough for people to care? I think you're right. I will. I, I, let me just one more comment. And um, I don't know, Daniel, you want to jump in this or not? If you don't, that's cool. We'll move I, on. I mean, you're all saying that everything I agree with is just a matter of how they utilize her. She can be an impact, but it's just a matter of how they utilize her when mm -hmm. she goes there, you know? I just think that it's 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 going to be poor timing when you're trying to get somebody like Deanna over and make her a big deal. And then all of a sudden, here comes, you know, another big name. You know what I mean? It's just uh, like you said, Jimmy, you're, you're, you're kind of mashing it all up. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like, OK, so who's important here now? Which one do we you know, let's 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 let one breathe and make one a star and make it bigger. And then let's maybe do something later. And maybe I don't know. It's just. I guess they're grabbing them while they can get them. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you know I'll say this, and then a third uh, spectacular women's wrestler that's also on the move, allegedly, too, is uh, Camille, uh, that gave her notice uh, with the NWA uh, at the end of the year. And then she appears, according to Uncle Dave there over at the uh, Wrestling Observer, uh, to be headed into the WWE and allegedly, we say allegedly because we don't know for sure, headed to, uh, to NXT potentially uh, to develop her in-ring work a little bit more, her character more, whatever. Um, but they also said that, uh, added to the story, that, quote, nobody has confirmed that a deal has been made, but it is expected, um, which... Obviously, at this point, as you guys know, you've been in the business, all three of you, for a while, that, you know, everything's expected in the wrestling business. But, uh, Brian, you ran, I believe you, when you were with the NWA, you worked with Camille quite a bit, right? Uh, yeah, I did. Okay. Um, her character, her persona, working in NXT, do you see that? them keeping her there just to develop her and eventually bringing her up to the main roster? Or do you think that's going to be basically where she'll be for a little bit? I, I, I really think that she has a lot to give and offer. I really do. Um, 
the biggest downfall for her, and it's not her fault. And and and, and someone like a Jim Ross would would want probably want to smack me in the face. It's just that her promo skills are not quite where they need to be because of the fact that she has a very southern draw, which I think is kind of cute. I mean, uh, let's be honest. Um, but it, it kind of holds her back in her promo performance. But her in-ring can be absolutely 100% like precisioned and, and, and defined through the NXT developmental portion of it. But as far as the promo thing, I think that's the one holdback because when I was there at the NWA, her big gimmick was that she didn't talk. Um, and, and I thought that was very smart of Billy Corgan to say, okay, I know this is her downfall, so I'm not going to play on that. And she didn't talk. And then and then he built it into a role where he finally decided to say a word. And it was a big deal. And it was kind of cool. It was a very good storyline. Um, but uh I, I think that her and like say a Corgle or Cargill, however you say the name, I'm sorry, um, could be something crazy because they're both very fit big women. Uh so right. you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. all, all, all I know about Camille is I'll say this, and I'm not trying to do this just to, just to uh, um, make a cheap plug, but I, I was on the set with her for four days filming a movie that's going to come out probably this summer, and she played an amazing part in that role, and I'm excited for that. If anything else in her future, that's what I'm excited for. Let's put that's for sure. We can we can get out there. That's that's confirmed. That's not rumors and innuendo. So she's for sure was in that movie, and she for sure played Jude Byers in the um in the in this biopic. So. I'm excited for that. I'll just say that. How about that? Nice. The only thing I will say, B, about the, the you know, you said she has a distinct Southern drawl that may take away from her promo skills. One thing that she may help her in NXT is utilizing that. Yes, I know a lot of people talk about WWE and being very stereotypical when it comes to certain, you know, <laughs> Uh, nationalities, let's say, and, 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 you know, parts of the United States and that sort of thing. But, you know, under the guidance of someone like a Shawn Michaels and crew down there, she may be able to utilize that, that distinct draw into a character that people can get behind, whether it's heel, babyface, whatever you want to say, but use it to her advantage possibly. And, and by the way, guys, that's what I want. You know what I mean? That's what I want. I, I just think that's the thing that she could really improve with, with, with Shawn Michaels and down in there in NXT. And then the world's the, you know, and her hands, you know what I mean? So she's going to do very well there, very well there. And really, really take it to another level. I believe. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And with that guys, let's bring in our special guest. One E C three. This is your two counts. All right, guys, welcome back here on the second count of Reffin and Up. And uh, we're joined by the one and only, the NWA World's Champion and the OVW National Heavyweight Champion. I believe you've got other titles, too, there. The one and only, the Overman EC3. Hello, gentlemen. What I love about this panel, what I love about this room right now is the majority of you have counted one, two, three in my favor as opposed to one, two, three against me. Spencer, I don't think you ever count me down. I don't think I have, no. Maybe twice, maybe, maybe twice. Yeah, I'm a winner. So that's my title. I'm a winner. Well, 
Nice. Just want to say to you, uh, Mr. EC3, my my pal and my buddy, um, I have counted you out of several times, but you know what? I have counted you more over yes. than I have. Oh, You've all DQ'd me countless times. Let's be honest. <laughs> Plenty of, and yes, count outs for sure, count outs. But as far as physically on the mat for three seconds, we did pretty good. True, true. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. glad you're able to stick with us through all this um, weather issues and all that stuff. And I really do appreciate that. And for those out there listening, they, they have no other idea. But uh, we're, right. we're a very organized show here, by the way, EC3. <laughs> I, I could tell because I was, you know, getting a lot of updates from you throughout. And then, you know, obviously the snow, you can't, can't account for the weather. But uh, no big deal. The only thing this is doing is, you know, preventing me from using my infrared sauna blanket. But as soon as this is over, I'm going to go there and I'm going to relax. It's going to be great. You have all my time and all my attention, so let's wrap it. That sounds so good. Well, I, I figured you, uh, especially EC3, would know being a Northeast guy. I'm outside of here, outside of Rochester, and the cause for all the shenanigans, if you will, um, of the weather. But um, you just got through Jack's Dane. We saw tonight in NWA. You reigned your title. You know, elephant in the room. Matt Cardona is coming up this weekend for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Forgot. No, how can yeah. I forget? <laughs> like the, the ultimate match of death. Now, it's not a death match. Anybody can do a death match. You can go to any podunk independent show. You can go to any hardcore show. You can go to the bum fights. You can go to the street corner. You're going to see a death match. But only Matt Cardona and I can bring you the ultimate match of death. So, yeah, that's this weekend, huh? That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's really one to look forward to. But for me, it's different because being up here in Canada, uh, you have a match coming up here in Canada as well. I do. Yeah, I'll be in, in a couple. Of, yeah, Greek Town Wrestling in in London, Ontario, on on January twentieth, where you're facing uh, Channing Decker, if I'm not mistaken. You're correct, and Channing Decker too is a. Man, many years ago, back in the TNA days, and I would do you know an occasional spot show, was a young talent I saw, I believe it was in Superkicked, who really stood out to me. And so it's cool to see him doing his own thing. Now he's throwing words, which I expect, because I was very impressed with his verbal skills, and I still am. So come January 20th, I think there's a lot of a uh, collaboration we can do after, of course, nice. I do. Yeah, the, the the thing I find interesting about this is this is the first time that the NWA World Championship has been defended in Canada in, what, four or five years now? Oh, that's good to know. I'm glad. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I live for I live in the moment. So my my history might be lax on certain dates and times. In fact, I think the world ended in 2012 and we're all in a simulation. But that's another podcast for another group of people. <laughs> well, it's good to know because the NWA uh, World's Heavyweight Championship does have the Canadian flag on one of the side panels. So I can honor that. Well, that's when I first got interested in pro wrestling was NWA because they were the main uh, source of talent that used to come to Maple Leaf Gardens, which we call MSG North up here, you know, and and you know, getting to see guys like Harley Race and Ric Flair and and all that sort of stuff. And how, how does it feel to follow in in their legacy? Do you know what I mean? You you look back at the list of NWA champions and you go, I can't believe I'm holding this title right now. Yeah, I mean, you you, I guess it really didn't settle until I actually procured it 
and defeated Tyrus, but winning it and holding it. And, you know, there's only one moment that even compares to that. And it was the moment Brian Hebner handed me the TNA World Heavyweight Championship when I defeated mm-hmm. Kurt Angle. But so they were very similar, but then they were also they were also very different. But then holding the title, you know, you realize the nostalgia and legacy that comes with it. You have the Thez, the Flares, the Races, the Steamboats, the Roads. Now you add three. So it mm-hmm. seems fitting, but it's truly an honor to have that kind of prestige. And I, I guess the mission is to bring as much notoriety and, you know, past honor we can into the future. And what can I do to continually create and grow it and, I don't know, reignite it? It's been ignited, but like keep the fire burning, so to speak, but then really torch some shit at the same time. The fire is burning. Sure, that's cool. But like, I want to like, I want to nuke the planet with NWA. So that's, that's the goal with the championship. You know, um, EC, uh, we we typically will get into careers and things like that and go through different things. And my run sheet tells me, just like every other wrestler, and I don't mean that be negative. What I mean is that the 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 work to be where you are was there and put in and hard and laboring and that kind of thing. All right, but when I was at TNA and you were brought in. I didn't know you. I didn't. Um, I was watching vignettes on the TV screen as everyone else at home, because obviously when you're there working, you don't see these vignettes that are played on programming. And you were brought in as this EC3 character. But before it was actually EC3 at that point in time, it was uh, the, uh, the lead up to naming who you were. Okay. Dude. You came in when TNA had a roster loaded full of names. I'm talking about loaded. I could go through them, but I mean, all I'm saying is I'm just going to throw a couple out there. Kurt Angles, Jeff Hardy's, Ric Flair's, uh, Mick Foley's, um, Dudley's, uh, whatever. And you were brought in as a prominent fucking star. And you were under the label of Dixie Carter. I want to go back and I want to ask you, first of all, you made the best of it, but who thought of this fucking shit? Like who came up with you being the nephew of Miss Carter, Dixie, the owner, and is how much did you have as far as idea wise, pitch wise, or was this something thrown at you? And whose idea was it? How did this all come together? Please explain this to me because I find it intriguing. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I can I could start with one thing. Um, the man upstairs, God's plan, fortunately blessed me with Carter DNA, unbeknownst to me the entirety of my life up until about 2013. But uh, apparently I was a Carter and the world needed me. So the idea of EC3, <laughs> Ethan Carter III, you mentioned all the high-level names in the, the stacked roster. It was also kind of a like the turning of the guard where a few were leaving, like AJ was leaving. You know, I think Jeff may have been gone. Double J left. And there was kind of a turnover. So when John Gabora came in as part of creative and to take over within office, he wanted to bring in 
create new stars, so to speak. So he knew me from my past life as a curly-haired idiot, Derek Bateman. But what he didn't notice is that there was a unique charisma. There was a look. There was a hard worker. There was a good worker. That when you are in charge of something, too, sometimes your legacy is going to be what you make and what you build. So I was very fortunate that I was the first guy he brought in, in theory unknown, because nobody watched that fucking NXT, we can be honest. In theory, being an unknown to create a new star, I was going to have some freedom to explore it, to experiment with it, and even to fail a little bit. While where I came from, every day you think you're getting fired, or every day you think if you say the wrong thing or take the wrong step or breathe the wrong way, you're going to get fired. So that was the past. I had a rough time with WWE just based on, you know, the, the initial run with NXT where it wasn't what I wanted to be, but what I've learned out of that. And I tell a lot of young talents this sometimes who you are and who you want to be, you have to be something else first. So like Derek Bateman is nothing like me. Derek Bateman was my way of standing out on a idiotic game show that nobody cared about. Whereas coming into TNA, the idea presented itself. We want to bring you in as Dixie's nephew. Well, it's great because I actually am. But so they want to bring me in as Dixie's nephew. And all they had was like, what do you think of for a name? Because we were thinking Ethan. And I said, there's never been an Ethan I liked. So that's a good start. And then Ethan, <laughs> like, this is the middle two of like RG3 mania where I'm like, well, then, you know, EC3. And that just rolls out the tongue. It has a good brand. People love shit in threes, where it was just kind of a perfect storm of collaborative ideas. And I think great creative is a very collaborative. So that was within, you know, Dave, Matt, John, myself, and Brian at the time. So how much of it was they, I mean, they put me in the position and allowed me to act how I saw it fit. So the idea of Ethan Carter wasn't a far stretch for me. Like it's, it was throwing Patrick Bateman kind of essence in there and, you know, things that inspired me and characters I wanted to be. Even before I left WWE, I was pitching something along these lines. Maybe not the spoiled nephew of the owner, but some sort of like one percenter Bitcoin, you know, kind of dipshitty fratty dude. So I already, and I kind of lived like that as is, so it was just a perfect opportunity where, you know, great creative met great talent. And I was hungry. I was driven. I was determined and I was pissed. I was so pissed from what happened within the WWE that I would do nothing. There isn't one thing I wouldn't have done to succeed and have my vengeance. And at the end of the day, the idea is like, I'm going to make them call me back. And they did. But along that vindictive journey is where I really truly found myself as a, you know, a talent, a character, a performer, and a person where that didn't matter at the end because the vengeance wasn't necessary to be against them as much as it was to prove myself to myself. That's that's awesome. And and, and one of the things that I found uh, intriguing too is a, a part of the business that uh, a lot of fans forget about is the uh, merchandising side, side of the business. And when you came up with that EC3 moniker, in my mind, it's like, oh, this is like marketing gold when it comes to merchandise, T-shirts, whatever the case may be. Did, did, was it that beneficial for you? Did it help you out in, in the that moment, sense? 
uh, Brian can probably attest to this though. Our merch department was a little, it wasn't the, you know, mega Goliath of a WWE by any stretch of the imagination. So whenever, if we were a better built foundation on that aspect, it probably would have been gangbusters. But at the same time, there were so many other pressing issues and, you know, the company spread thin that it wasn't probably nearly capitalized on enough. And even on my own behest, I could probably all the shit I do and say should be on t-shirts and should be for sale and people should be wearing them because it's constant nonsense and it's very funny and it can also look cool. So we did not take full advantage of that. In fact, I had to make my own merchandise, including I made my own foam fingers with the, the three on it. So nice. Yeah, I just wish I knew how to sell shit. I can make things. I can't sell shit. I can't like I have no. I'm a great. So, so, no so basically, so basically, uh, what you're saying is in uh, TNA back in the day, back they didn't have a pumpkin head as Brian would. <laughs> no, they didn't. Yeah, my first shirt sucked. <laughs> it sucked. It's, I think somebody had a cool idea. EC3 on a shirt would look good. And it's like a logo that wasn't on my gear. It wasn't something I used. And I'm like, meh. But then the second shirt was quite successful. And that was just based on the theme song that uh, God blessed me with. And Surge as well with the trouble, 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 trouble. And that shirt did pretty well. So, so. EC, I want I want to say this, um, and I, I found this very very, uh, it's it's really weird because this is where I found like where me and you became attached, um, was how quickly you were part of the locker room's importance. Like, I want to say leader, and I think you were. I mean, I remember when we were going through hard times, and I remember coming to you. I remember coming to Matt Hardy and saying, we need to have a meeting. I don't know if you remember this or not, but, and, and saying, I don't want big, I don't want anybody else in there. I want us all to get together and I want us to rally the troops because we were going through some rough times. And I, I just remember like, once again, I want to reiterate, I didn't watch NXT just like you reiterated. Nobody did at that point in time. So of course I wasn't watching either. And I see this guy, Bateman, coming in here that, that somebody told me he was in NXT or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you're this major character. You're this major star that they made. And I was so happy. I was so happy because that's my living, too. I, I want stars. Because stars make my checks bigger, too. And, I mean, was it an easy transition for you to be that locker room leader? Because you were a locker room leader. I've called you several times. Yeah. I don't need behind the curtain, but I've called you several times off record where we had questions, where we had things we want to talk about. Did you find that that was easy to do or hard to do or just, 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 just fell in your lap? How'd that work out? It's very inspiring to do and it's very like humbling. So I think leadership, you can look at it two ways. People that force themselves or want to be leaders are never good leaders. They're fucking tyrants. But then people that fall into it or kind of looked at without really it being said or known until it is. And I think the exact situation you mentioned is what made me realize that this is who I am and who I should be and who I'm going to need to be going forward. And it also helped to have Matt there too, because 
Matt was the leader to me, but Matt was also in a position where he didn't want to be the leader. So he would, you know, de delegate to me. So Matt's in theory, he's the president, I'm the vice, or he's the father and I'm the mother. But like when you came up to me and I'm realizing these things need to happen and this team needs to be looked out for, and it's my job, it's hard to come in and just, you know, claim it. And so I didn't have the experience to do so initially, but as time passed and I kind of, you know, I got to work with the Stings and then the Bullies. And when I'm working with Kurt Angle and he's on the way out and I'm the champ, well, then I'm the leader, right? So knowing what the titles mean is, you know, far more than what the fans see. It's like who you are within the locker room and the example you have to set. And so leadership's a big part of my life and a big thing that, you know, I read about and try to incorporate and be accountable for and things like that. But you truly actually were the one that put me in the position to realize, I don't know, you're like Obi-Wan in a sense. Like you're, you were the one that handed me the lightsaber and I'm like, Oh shit, I need to use this now. And you know, then you disappeared in a cloak and I was like, Oh shit, where'd Brian go? That's weird. Anyways. No, but like when a guy like you and a guy like Matt and you know, the locker room is looking up to you in a sense that I was still pretty young. That was, you just didn't want to fail. And then if you refuse to fail yourself, you're going to be accountable for everybody. And so like the one thing was leading by example is one thing I kind of really picked up on there where it meant, yeah, if I had to be at the alehouse and I had to close that motherfucker down, I still had to be the first guy in the gym. And I still had to be one of the first guys at the show. And I had to be the last guy to leave the show no matter how long I've been there and how much I had, I had to do. And uh, without you pushing me into that position, I don't know if I'd be who I am today. So thank you. It's, it's well, funny you say all that. Obi-Wan Hebner there, um, you know, because <laughs> as I like to say many times, because back, back coming, coming from the other side in WWE, the Undertaker was our locker room leader, but he didn't, come out and say he was a leader the locker room chose him and that's what it sounds like happened here you earned the position of leader because the locker room chose you i wish i was as cool as the undertaker though <laughs> you know and then but like and then the way he handled himself i didn't get a ton of time with him but uh like you just knew and what he would do is that national anthem's playing he's standing he sits down He's at the monitor and he's there and he's watching. And if you say, Hey, can you watch my shit match? Really? Yep. Or if you come to the back and you didn't ask him, you should have, but he'll be there to provide the insight. And it was never forced. Like I think when a leader quote leader forces themselves or their opinions on you, you can neglect it or negate it or be like, what the fuck does that guy know? Like, so I wouldn't sit in the back too and watch, you know, I'd watch everything. But if I saw a, a fucking train wreck and an absolute display of idiocy take place, I'm not going, hey, you know what I think? I'm sitting there and like hoping that they will ask so I can give them, you know, an honest opinion, not to bury them, but to help them see a different light or maybe improve. And then the one thing about leadership, too, I've noticed is I've fucked up more than anybody ever at anything. So there's nothing I wouldn't ask somebody to do that I haven't done or wouldn't do. And there's nothing that you have done out there that I haven't done and fucked up worse. So I can speak from that experience now.
So you, you mentioned, you know, Matt Hardy, you mentioned Sting, you mentioned Kurt Angle there in TNA. Working with those guys then, looking at your career now, NWA have World's Heavyweight Champion. You're, I can say it, the face of OVW right now. You're the overman. Looking at it back now, that those three guys, handful of guys there in TNA, you th- think that really sets you forward to being the, the, the overman, for better use of terms, right now? For sure. The overman, I mean, as a creative, or how I envision my evolutions in life and within career, is kind of like the, the final sort of form I would, would take, as though... I think I'm Superman, but I'm actually kind of Homelander because I'm a dick. But at the same time, I've, you know, taken all these scalps and these souls and their powers, and now it is me, and though the business has changed, whatever, I'm the measuring stick. The reason I have that as a character base or even something to play with is because I've the confidence I was given, not by being in the ring with guys like Sting and Bully and Kurt and all the names, but by being in the ring with them and trusted by them and, you know, critiqued by them and put over by them, both in the ring or just in conversation, that I think the biggest thing a professional wrestler can have and a lot of people lack because we're all in this kind of tiny little bubble is uh, how do you gain true confidence? And I think confidence is one of the most important things a wrestler can have. Whereas nowadays there's a lot of like, Daniel will attest to it. Everybody's coming back from a match and like, oh man, I really kind of messed up that back elbow or I didn't take a flat enough bump on that pancake. And it's just like, who gives a shit about that? Like, what was the reactions and the stories you told? And was the boss happy afterwards? And like, sometimes having that confidence is like, yeah, all right, I took a crappy bump here, but by the end of the match, the place went crazy and they got we got the reaction we wanted because we didn't lose our minds thinking about it out there. Like, I can't believe I botched or I messed something up where it's just like, I am so comfortable and confident in who I am and what I'm doing that it doesn't matter. And then we will deliver at the end. Really quickly here, because the way you brought that up, do you think that's one of the issues nowadays with a lot, nowadays with a lot of the younger talent who are, showcased on television their mind is more set on performing moves as opposed to getting audiences invested in like you said the story and themselves and the character yeah a hundred percent it's a lot of what i try to do when the control your narrative or exodus or when i'm at ovw and when i'm at nwa is like uh, freeing them from their own mental prison of what they think they should be and just being who they are and i think a lot of I don't know. There's been a discrepancy in kind of uh, generations that maybe it's been lost a little bit. Like, I think my generation hasn't done a good enough job of passing on what we've gotten from the previous one to this one. Or maybe we're just not working with them as much exclusively, because that's why I enjoy working with like younger guys like OVW Cal, for example, or Luke Curtis, you know, or NWA like Jordan Clearwater and Silas. So being able to break them out of that kind of that mindset. And I think it has become, it's not their fault. It's just what they know. And it's how they're trained 
because there's only so many people that can train under a guy like an Al Snow or a Dr. Tom that can really hone them in and pull it out of them. And then it's really about getting the reps and the confidence. Whereas back in the day, they had territories where they're working three to four days a week, often with vets, often on the fly, which brings you up so much faster where we're working. They are same level guys, same experience, same confidence, rehearsing moves and not, you know, getting to the true nature of what we do is tell the story, create the character, provide the moment, get the emotion. And I think uh, one thing I want to focus on is trying to bring that to people. If it's just me, then so be it. But I think there's a lot of people that feel the same way. They just don't know how, and I don't know how either. But the thing is, you can't be afraid to figure it out and try. And if that means going into a 10 minute TV match with nothing called but a finish, fucking so what? Do it. Try it. Who cares? You know, I like see a town in OVW. They had 10 minutes, and I think Daniel vouched for this too. And it was kind of like wonky a little bit, but a little bit messy. But at the end of the match, the crowd's reacting and the finish delivers. Al Snow would be thumbs up in it. Good job. As opposed to 10 minutes of choreographed, pre-planned stuff where there was no emotion. There was no feeling and moves. And they didn't, you know, interact with each other or the crowd. Or as Al would say, get over the gimmick of the match which is what trying to win. Right. So I think I challenge people to do that. And there's times when I do it. And if I'm doing a TV match and there's still a a bunch called, I can see it on my face that I'm thinking, whereas opposed to if I'm watching or doing something that's kind of like intuitively and on the fly, I look so much happier and more comfortable and more confident. All the in-betweens are so much more meaningful because we're selling for each other and I'm, I'm reacting in the moment as opposed to thinking of, oh shit, we got to do a superplex now. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's one of the things that I've happened many times since I've worked with you. And I know Brian can probably say the same thing. I mean, we have not to pull back the curtain too much, but called something most, maybe a lot. And then we get out there and you're just like filling it and, and doing what you got to do. And, and, uh, and, uh, that's and the business gets done bottom line regardless business the story the story gets told everything happens but i think that that is definitely what you've alluded to is missing a lot in today's wrestling is that uh too many people are so worried about oh trying to get everything in that they they had to go over but yet they don't realize the fans in the in the audience have no idea what you called in the back all they care about they just want to be entertained so entertain them you know and and that's uh that that's it that's 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 the way it should be especially fans like you have with nwa often is drawing a decent family crowd and you know ovw louisville people have not, they don't know what the fuck's going on in wrestling right Dude, they know everybody in that building that's what they know so talent will kind of i don't know i feel maybe i'm wrong but put themselves what i like to call in the wrestling bubble and it's based on the reactions they see on this yep. getting here. And, you know, the 15 comments they would get on Twitter after a match is like their barter uh, barometer for success, as opposed to the reaction of the 400 people out there, you know, and like moves and gifts. And I get it. Like, I'm not trying to tone the business down. You know, I think the evolution of the industry is incorporating 
the high level athleticism and you know the wow fucking shit people can do now but doing so in ways that has so much more meaning that the people that come do not forget it happened and it's not just another week goes by and i saw another sweet moonsault to the floor big fucking deal like she had to moonsault to the floor to win that match and it meant everything and because she did it she was able to win and now because she won this story has concluded in a positive manner and i felt that like i think we can do that it's just hard to break the bubble so you see here's what we're gonna do i have a little story i want to tell not a big one but it's a it's one that of course puts you over because uh, that's what i do thank you uh, but uh we're gonna touch on that we're gonna touch on a lot of things like your future your goals um questions from fans and when we do that, we'll be right back with our count three, and it's going to be fucking hot. We'll be right back. Count three, coming up. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL playoffs, is bringing you an offer that'll help make the playoffs electrifying. New customers can bet five bucks on any game and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use a promo code REFIN. That's R-E-F-I-N. New customers can bet just 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code REFIN. That's R-E-F-I-N. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in Connecticut. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after insurance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. This is your three count. Welcome back to the third and final count of the Refin It Up podcast. We're still here with EC3, not saying that in a bad way. That's a good way. This has been a great conversation, having a blast. We do have a few more questions, and we'll even have a couple of fan questions. But I got to ask you a question, because you being there in OVW and working under Al Snow, uh, for him, I got to work with him for so many years. What is, in your mind, the most underappreciated thing that Al Snow offers young Man, talented. I don't even know if it's underappreciated or if it's even known. I just think he's a genius at wrestling. Like just conveying finishes or stories or leading from one thing to another or context. And what I really love about him is I don't think he's super pre-planned i think he's intuitive too like he has a plan for a long time but he doesn't know how he's going to get there and that's why because each week we do something something kind of changes it and i love being able to have that flexibility because that's what matters when you're like calling back or again the word context like context is king and how we got here so i think his ability <sighs> The way he can convey the message, it, he's an, not acquired taste to me because I know him, but I think for a younger person to like understand the concepts are at such a high genius level, 
that they do take time. I do appreciate he's very patient with some talent too. And he lets people figure it out on their own sometimes where I would come back doing what I thought that was great business. And he's like, good job. I'm like, cool. I'm like, well, you got anything? He's like, well, yeah, think about it like this. He could have done dun, 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 dun. I'm like, holy shit. That's way more. It's like, yeah. I'm like, well, I wish you told me beforehand. He's like, I want to see what you do. I'm like, okay. But I would just say overall savant. El Sarvin, the savant. So, I don't even, if, if you want to address it, you can. If not, I, this is not a controversial show, but I'm, I'm just asking. How is it with uh, Billy and Al? Are, 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 they on, are they on working terms? I mean, because you're, you're splitting, obviously, your time between the two. And I think it's great. I think it's great for business. I think it's great for both companies. And I always know Billy, knowing him as long as I have. Obviously, he inducted my dad into the Hall of Fame. So we have a little bit of history and I've worked with him quite a while he's always been good for business i think um so where where are you guys at there as the champion of both respective companies as brands you know i have the ears and the eyes and the noses and the throats of those two gentlemen uh, <laughs> here what i've been doing and trying to do has been for a reason that hopefully for foretells itself in the very near future so I think it would be can't miss if there was a collaboration between the NWA and Ohio Valley wrestling, especially with both on growing in different ways that to be a true threat in this industry, like we're not trying to rank one, twos and threes, but to become a true threat, there's things that NWA is excelling at and there's things that OVW is getting into and excelling at that. Again, when I mentioned creativity, it's the same thing with business that collaboration is king. And then I think something great can come of that. Worst case, I'm on television every week as a you know national champion and a world champion. That's pretty cool too for me. But what I'm doing is for a reason. And I hopefully you'll see it soon. Yeah. So uh, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, somebody that you're going to have his eyes and ears and nose and every part about him in your grasp this Saturday yeah. for that NWA heavyweight championship. It's Matt Cardona. What? I, I don't want to get into your uh, mentality for the match, but what can us as fans expect other than you leaving the heavyweight champion? Well, I mean, to prepare for this match, you know, like training as usual, on point, dialed in, going to look great, going to be great, going to feel great, going to be proficiently offensive, you know, don't play defense because defense is for cowards, you know, go all in, all that jazz, whatever. But I've been really studying Alexander the Great going into this match and certain uh, aspects of his uh, reign and uh, his ability to both be brutal and his ability to also both show an opponent the most respect possible for putting themselves on the line in such a way. So I guess my strategy is really Alexander the Great, you know, circa the Battle of Gagalamera. I can't pronounce it, but yeah. What are we going to do? Ears. I like how you said that. Reminds me of Daniel Day-Lewis from Gangs of New York. Ears and th- ears, noses and throats will be the trophy of the day come this Saturday. 
January 13th, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, in the ultimate match of death. But it's not a death match. No, absolutely not. Death matches. Of course. Anybody can do a death match. Come on. Have you also uh, prepared? Have you also prepared playing with uh, wrestling figures too? That for Matt Cardona, just imagine. I I'll give you a couple spoilers because we were talking about it earlier about my aunt, and I'm looking at you know my desktop. I was saving certain images for a certain thing that might take place in that match. I can imagine being backdropped into some sort of action figure conglomeration. One thing we're going to add to this match is that. Uh, you know, it's a 10 pounds of gold, so I want at least 10 pounds of golden weapons at ringside. Ooh. Which, yes, they're going to be golden weapons. And All right. that means if kendo stick is golden, then so be it. Steel chair is golden, so be it. If a hatchet is golden, so be it. If an AK-47 butts golden, then so be it. But there's going to be a lot of gold weapons. And then, uh, you know, maybe a little red, too. So... Real quick, um, I, I want to touch on this, and and this is where I gathered great, great confidence in you as a performer, a superstar, and a stand-up guy. All right, and I want to say this with 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 one hundred percent true compassion, like 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 one hundred percent. Me, you, and Kurt Angle were in a match. And I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but I think you will because I don't think a performer could forget this, but we'll see. Um, Kurt got looped a little bit. And uh, all right, I'll pull the curtain back. Oh, right, yeah, he got fucked up. Um, he was um, not able to do the things that Kurt Angle does. And you were the guy who stepped in and overpiloted this fucking match. You called spot for spot. You went through me. I went through him. And you were a true professional. And I was in wow. Because when he first got looped, and I knew he did, I was immediately thinking, no disrespect to you, we are fucked, is my immediate response. This guy, because this happened early in the program that you guys were doing, and I was like, this guy's never going to be able to get through this shit. I'm going to have to do this my shit myself. And Dude, you were spot on. You were so good, so professional. You never lost control. Kurt was so impressed after the fact that he realized what the fuck happened. But um, he was on autopilot, and me and you went through this thing, and it was actually a amazing match. <laughs> it was amazing. And that's when I learned that EC3 is not only a good fucking guy, he's a good fucking wrestler, he's a good superstar, and he's a fucking locker room leader. Fuck you if you don't like him. And no, and I mean that. I mean, I mean it with all my heart. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and put you over if I don't want to put you over. I, I believe what I say. And I, and I think that that was a stepping stone between for me and you because we work so close together because I only did Kurt Angle's matches. That's all it was. He, made, he put a mandate down when I got to TNA that I did all his matches, period. He didn't care if they were the main event, the semi-main event, the opener. It didn't matter. I was his referee. He put that down. I didn't put it down. He did. And I'm not going to argue with it. I've got to do it. And, dude, you you got a lot of respect from Kurt Angle that night. You got a lot of respect from me that night because I didn't know you had that in you. I didn't. I, I'm just being honest. But the reason why I brought that up is because 
A, I want to know if you remember, and B, is that something that you're you're you, you just came up with, or is it something that you really had in you? I don't, I, don't, I just don't know. That was a a moment of self actualization, if I recall, too, where that was a. It's hard to explain, but I mentioned it only happened a couple of times where like being in there and in that moment, what it meant. Like, I don't remember it per se. I remember the end of it, but I remember when doing it, everything felt right and nothing was stopping it. And then I was, you know, so tuned in that, you know, I didn't really even realize Kurt was in that state for most of it because I was just prepared and, you know, you're in there with a veteran and they're going to call the, the shots and the action. And we called, you know, whatever we called in the back. But, like, I'm going to reiterate it, too, whether it's for him or whether it's just for me to speak it out loud or to at least visualize and take place. So, no, I'm, I'm just fucking good, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, getting into that moment, too, you know, every time it was only maybe a year and a half, two years in where I'm on the come up, but I still haven't been crowned or christened where again, with leadership or, you know, veteran status, you don't want to overstep bounds, but inside, you know, you're the protege, you're the next in line. You know exactly what's happening. You're, you're prepared for it. That just in case someone were to not drop the ball per se, or just, take the wrong step you're already like the great leaders of my past are the what prepared me to be able to be leading being led by example and then leading by example within the same i guess concept and then if i do recall i got belly to belly overhead suplex into you at some point in there too you did and here was what here, here's what was so amazing about this i'm being honest you told me to tell kurt tell him to give me the angle slam and I'll slip out and give him the one of them. And I'm like, holy shit. Cause I'm not used to telling Kurt what to fucking do. I'm used to Kurt telling me what to fucking do. <laughs> and he was like, hell yeah, I like it. Let's go. And I'm like, what the fuck? This was crazy. It was, it was crazy. It was insane. It was awesome. And I mean, dude, it was, it was amazing. And, and it showed what a fucking pro you are. Um, in an early state, you're right. In an early state, this is a newer character to the show. And, you're working with fucking the machine. I mean, it was fucking amazing. Fucking amazing. Well, thank you for that. So if I, if I leave anything besides with renewed friendships amongst you all, is that renewed confidence that I'm the fucking man. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing, too. Anybody who would ever, you know, you kind of got a free pass from any sort of, if you listen to criticism from people that have never done a, what you've done, like... I mean, he sucks, or you blow, whatever. Kurt Angle told me I'm a good wrestler, so fuck you. You can't, like, what could you say about me? That guy tell me I'm good. He's the best. Sorry, your opinion has no validation here, sir. As Kurt, as Kurt Angle said his famous battle rap that I actually beatbox for, I may suck, but you just blow. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, well, I, I guess I'm in here to make that transition as painless and easy as possible. But hey, what the hell? Um, Brad Stanton, uh, listener question here from the Kickout Crew podcast, wants to know, um, when you left NXT for the main roster, 
of uh, WWE. Did you look forward to uh, working with anybody over other people on the main roster? Or was it just, hey, let's work with whoever they want me to? No, like the main whole prep precipice of going back to the WWEs, I wanted to work with one guy, and that was Cena. Because I think when he does his little shtick where he's working with a newcomer and like he's bringing him along, he's bringing him along. And then they have the big promo showdown and he fucking destroys him. Like I, I want, that's all I wanted was to be in that situation. Cause I think I can get him. Uh, and I have a great respect for him. He's actually a guy I learned a lot about leadership from still do to this day. Like I keep in touch with him and I'm very fortunate to have that kind of friendship, but you know, like guys like Orrin Reigns, blah, blah, blah. But like Cena was the guy that I still would love to kick his fucking ass. So, but then also like on the call up when it happened, you know, you work so hard to get to a certain moment, but when the call came and this is another time where my intuition proved right. And I needed to start following it. It didn't feel right. I'm like, this doesn't feel like the right time or the right idea. Like, I don't want, I, I mean, I'm going to, but I don't, it just doesn't seem right. And it wasn't, it wasn't the right place in the right time. What I tell younger wrestlers a lot, there's four times in this business. It's the wrong place at the wrong time, the right place at the wrong time, the wrong place at the right time, but the only place that gets you where you want to go is being in the right place at the right time. So it was definitely one of the three, probably the wrong place at the wrong time. Might have been the wrong time, right place, wrong time. I don't know, but it was not the right place and it was not the right time. It's so good. Well, um, one of the things that I noticed over your career is your evolution of your character. Um, you know, from Ethan Carter the third to the EC three, control your narrative, and now the Overman. What what um is there anybody in the wrestling world or anything that's caused you to kind of like look at their, them and say, okay, this is my inspiration of having this evolution of, of your character and, and what did it, what it took to like make those, I don't want to say changes because it's, it's really different versions of yourself, but you know, of, um of, of making those adjustments needed to be. What I always looked at is the undertaker's formula of success. And by no means am I him, I'm going to have his run or reign, but the way he would, he would, he knew when it was the right time to kind of switch things up and evolve. Like he's not really an undertaker anymore. Now he's kind of a, a minister. Like he always kind of evolved it, but he's still the same guy. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. And fortunately, creatively, I've been able to, in certain ways, like even going back to the WWE, you came back as top 1% EC3. I had a whole nother idea. I kind of spawned into what CYN EC3 was that I was pitching. Cause I'm like, I, this doesn't feel right. If I, you know, like, cause this has been done and it's cool to get started, but it's not where we need to be. Something has to change and that didn't come to fruition, but I think evolving is very important for each and every talent. And they should always look for those steps they can make when the circumstances dictate it. So like, even with the overman, it's an idea I've had for a year, but I just had to time it. Like I was kind of utilizing essences of it, but the timing for it to actually happen had to be at the biggest moment I was going to have, which was the title match with Tyrus for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. And I was like, I will pull the trigger this day. Whether I won or not, I didn't know. 
but I'll pull the trigger this day because no matter what happened, I've followed this path this long that something has to change. And I had plans where if I'm over and I have plans if I'm not, and it's okay. But I think talents constantly should seek evolution when circumstances dictate or when things change. Like if I'm a tag team guy who's been running a good tag team hot for a couple of years and we're kind of, we got to split when that split happens, I got to show up completely like something's changed drastically. And so do I, and I'm still the same guy, but now I'm this kind of variant of it, or I'm embellishing this part of my personality more so than that. Because if you just split and you're kind of the same guy, the same gear, same music and the same moves, it, nothing's changed. And I think uh, change and evolution is important. So, EC, I want to ask you one more question. Um, and it is a fan question, unfortunately. And um, it's only because sometimes it doesn't make sense. But I'm going to try and make sense of it. And then we're going to get you out of here. Um, it says, it's from Dale Connor, And it says, uh, what, all right, what were you doing before wrestling became what you do full time? And what is it that made you say wrestling is the shit that I really want to fucking do for my career? I was a bartender and a server. I was going to college. Then I stopped going because I wanted to be a wrestler, but I still bartended and I served. And the one moment I remember vividly that I was like, first time I was booked as an extra and I had a Sunday night heat match. And I was in a tag team match where I think it was Charlie Haas and Viscera kicked the dog shit out of me. But I walked down, walking down that, like through that curtain and down that ramp for the very first time, something clicked in my mind where I'm like, no matter what I do with my life, if I don't follow this as hard and as you know strong as I can, I will deem my life a failure. And in that moment, I was walking down going, yay. Like that's what the thought that was going through my head. So it was that moment. That made me decide that as far as like when to pull the trigger and go all in, it's hard. It's hard for a lot of young guys who have to work realistic jobs and have obligations and families and things like that. At the same time, so few make it. And those that do are usually the ones that put it all on the line when the time is right. And one thing I'll do for talent too is like coach them when I'm like, cause they'll be like, I'll go to any show. I'll go do anything. I'm like, you won't do anything. Trust me. I've been in those positions, sir. <laughs> and some people will do anything and they get pushed. Anyways, long story short, but when it's time to pull the trigger, to the best of my knowledge, I will tell you when. But then also at the same time, do not forego the realities of life until it is time. So if you're not ready, if your look isn't TV ready, if your work's not there, if your promos suck, get home that shit in and then go all in. Because you have time, but you don't have all the time in the world, too. So if you really want to do this, though, at the highest level possible, it will take everything of you and you will lose your friends and you will lose family and you will lose lovers and you will lose money and you'll lose jobs and you'll lose respect and you'll lose you'll lose your mind more than once. But at the end of that is everything you probably ever wanted. Last thing I'll ask you, um, which meant a lot to me, which I know has to be. Um, I want you to just touch on quickly, as long as you want to, whatever you want to do. You, Spud, England. Oh, man. 
rarely a moment in life do you get to experience with one of your best friends that you know kind of dictates i don't know something you'll never forget and uh what was important about that is we're both super like-minded you know steve back up one second okay because my listeners this is a match between ec3 and spud this all culminated here in the united states where we went overseas to england and this was a huge, huge backstab deal where Spud was supposedly his boy, his buddy. My buddy. And this became a bloody mess in England, sold out at London uh, Wembley Stadium uh, or wherever the fuck it was. Um, but anyway, now go ahead. I just want them to make, understand what they're hearing. Yeah. And I think based on what I said before about evolutions and things of that nature, this was the moment where I'm going from a high level mid card act to, I need to be a threat. I need to be lethal and I need to be what a top villain would be. And so Spud and I were true life, our true life best buds. And the stuff we did on television was so uniquely us. Like we had a lot of, I don't want to say creative freedom, but as much as they're putting us in a situation and we just bounce off each other, Shit was always gold, and we would work ta- like he was my little fucking minion, and like it, <laughs> your little brother or your little like friend. And now you're like, yeah, I like you. I don't really. I'm using you. Here's human shield shit where he's taking the bumps and I'm going over, and like it was a great little act. But they wanted to split us up, and I'm gonna go face Kurt, and they kind of didn't want to split us up, but then kind of had to take away any elements of humanity I had, which is the way I looked at it too. Like I cannot be human if I'm going to go be the top villain. So we had this angle. They wanted to blow it off right away. We'd have a match and be done, but we fought and we fought so hard that we can have a long-term feud and culminate it in this moment, in this spot, his hometown of England. At the same time, in between television, my bicep tour where I had to get surgery and I was going to be out four months. And we had that show eight weeks afterwards. So I had one arm and I risked re-tearing my entire arm off to do it in that moment because it meant that much because it was that important for where I was going to go and where he was going to go. And at the same time, we're in his hometown. He's my real life best friend. We have the main event. He jumped and died on the sword for me to become who I needed to be, to become who I am, you know, today, honestly, but who I was to be, to be against Kurt Angle, to then therefore be that leader you so mentioned, like his sacrifice for me in that match. And I had one arm and it was a match. Al Snow produced it. Where when we came to him with our ideas, he listened to him. He's like, that's exactly what I was thinking like i thought you guys were going to come here and start talking about doing moves and shit no absolutely not but i bash him over the head with my giant arm brace he's covered in blood the whole place wants him to make a comeback he delivers the comeback but he just can't get it done and i'm able to beat him and then i you know 
And I put him over as the good soldier he was. And it's a big humane moment. And we're fucking best friends again. And then I beat the fucking shit out of him and shave his head bald in front of his mom, bleeding out of his ass and his head. So it was great. Like That's what was needed to get to where I needed to be. So one of the highlights of my life, really. Absolutely, dude. It was amazing. And if you haven't seen it, you need to go back on YouTube or I know it's out there everywhere. It was a fucking amazing match. It was so good. It was, uh, like you said, wasn't a lot of moves. Oh, it was the, a lot of character play. It was a lot of like storyline derived. It was just, I don't know. It was amazing. It was amazing. And I, and I was part of that. And I'm so proud of that. Yeah. Um, like, it was something we felt too. Like we had ideas of what it was going to be, but like, I don't know, man. It's that rare. You can attest to this. You guys have been around wrestlers forever. There's those, you know, that kind of get it. There's some that get it. And then there's some that just are it. And in that moment, him and I were it, you know, and like, that's the difference. And I think that misses a lot when everyone's constrained or scripted or afraid to be themselves or time, I don't know, timed too deeply, or I have to get my shit in, or I have to look strong, or I can't look like that because I'm working over here. We're just like, fucking nonsense it's just garbage bullshit that like when you do business the right way somebody goes over and then somebody gets over each and every time and if you can figure out that formula don't matter if you win or lose it doesn't matter what moves you do it matters on what how you make people feel i agree i agree nice. we have to do this this is the sad part of my show um, this is where I have to let you put all your fucking plugs in and put your shit over and get out of here, man. I'm not a good business man. So I don't like how can, will I monetize one cent off of that? Probably not, but I'll tell you about June. I'm sorry, January 13th, the ultimate match of death with Matt Cardona, myself, that'll be in Fort Lauderdale for the NWA. The next day we'll be in Tampa doing TV. You can catch me pretty much uh, every Thursday now going forward at Ohio Valley wrestling, where I am the champion, whatever we have cooking there. I just had a pay-per-view match. If you want to catch a replay of OVW shows a great show the company's coming into its own that's ovwrestling.com uh what else yeah so support the nwa we're gonna be on cw so make sure you watch it and support it and that's cool at the real ec3 on the social media handles at t-h-e-r-e-a-l-e-c-3 what else if you're in the cleveland area NWA Exodus will be running a show that is my little territory I'm building with a bunch of hot promising locals and some high level independent names. This can be January 27th, the day of the rumble, but we're doing a matinee. I wish I had the ways to for you guys to see the content yet, but I'm storing it like a squirrel because I want to unleash it strategically. But if you're in the Cleveland area, check that out. That's exoprowrestling.com or at Exodus Pro. I don't know. That's it, man. I'm not too bad. I'm not too. I'm not too selfish with that shit. Well, I want to say this, um, and I'll let the boys feed in here to you. Um, I love you to death, man. Um, I, I, I'm so blessed to work with you, and um, you're 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 amazing. You're amazing, and you're gonna do good things. And I know this shit, and I and I know what your pent up anger is, and I know that I know what it is, but because I had it too, I had it too, man. And guess what? I had them call back to me too. But guess what? I said, go fuck yourself. But um I don't have that anymore though, to be honest. Like 
I've proven it to myself and that's what's most important. And I prove it to the people I've worked with and worked for. And if I go down with this legacy, I'm a three-time world heavyweight champion. If I could be on the cusp of building not one, but two promotions that become national, you know, attention and people getting jobs and living their dream. Dude, that's a good enough legacy for me. Sure. I want to kick John Cena's ass. Yeah. Who doesn't, but short of that, I'm not missing anything. How bad do you want to kick his ass, goddammit? How bad? I don't know. I just got to... I mean, he's an OVW alum, so, I mean, he could uh, show up anytime he that. wants. You never know. I want to test that merit. <laughs> like, he's truly real fast. Like, a couple weeks ago, I was in Tampa and we're hanging out, and here's a guy who's beyond successful at what he's doing, what he's done in acting, in wrestling. He sits around like this, like the boys, and just chops it up and talks shop. And some of the business talks we had, just like about character and evolution, everything we've talked about today, I'm talking about with him. And he's talking with the same passion and gusto of somebody who's never made a set and doing it, but wants to do it. And like that, that's fucking leadership to me, where I'm like, if he can still feel this way about that, like no matter how bad things might get on certain eras here, I can have that same passion. And I should. Amen. I agree. Boy, send him off. Awesome. EC3, thank you so much for joining us here this week. We look forward to not what you only have coming up this weekend with the NWA, but with OVW as well. And uh, just thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you. Fortunately, we were able to do this. So thank you so much, Daniel, for uh, helping us out in a pinch. Yeah. And uh, hopefully next time, you know, Mother Nature and won't say, hey, you know, the hell with you and we're going to cut out your power and whatever. But we made it work. Gentlemen, uh, Jimmy, Rev and Rance each and every time, man, you're killing it, man. I, I, it's something I have to get each and every day, like the newspaper. I, well, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, and usually it's a critique, but I've been trying to keep it at least so far this year positive. At least for the first couple of weeks, let's try it that way. And then I'll get back to my uh, usual self. Let's put it that way. But for now, you know, there's enough, sometimes enough negativity online. So I figured for a little while, let me keep the ref and rent positive and see, see how it goes. So, and uh, again, when I do get back to the critiques, the critiques is not to tear down the business, but to tighten the screws that I, I believe need to be tightened. Yeah. And they, they could, all the social media is all the same, right, Jimmy? Uh, yeah, well, uh, at Jimmy Corderas on uh, Twitter, at real Jimmy Corderas on Instagram, because apparently the, somebody else took Jimmy Corderas. <laughs> yes, I don't know. I wouldn't take a thing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you can, you can find me on both. So the, uh, I'm there. And uh, yeah, check it out. And you can also get your pro wrestling, pro wrestling tees. You can get your Ref and Rant t-shirts there. There you go. Um, but before I go to Brian, because I want to save the same for last, Daniel, uh, ways people can get a hold of you, OVW, Impact, Ringside Podcast, all that good yep. stuff. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you can check check me out at OV, OVW.com, OVWrestling.com, sorry, uh, or TNA Wrestling, because we have a big pay-per-view coming up oh, this weekend correct. as well. Uh, yeah, and then uh, but but on social media, it's at Daniel Spencer on Instagram and uh, and Twitter. Uh, then my podcast <laughs> at, at Ringside Podcast on on so on uh twitter and instagram as well so there you go so so daniel i know what the pay-per-view is called but you want to put it out there for him what, what, yeah what's it 
it's TNA hard to kill because TNA is hard to kill, baby. Uh, Absolutely. And it's full-fledged TNA now, right? Full-fledged TNA, yeah. It's uh, I'm, I, I ain't going to lie to you. I'm pretty excited. And I can't wait to reveal the new the new ref shirts uh, with the TNA logo. Oh, oh. Cool. You, you, you kayfabe me on that, huh? <laughs> I, I have as long as as long as they're not SmackDown Blue, they're not SmackDown Blue. They're not SmackDown okay. Blue. Uh, used to have to ask me for approval, but now that's gone. I guess. All I'm, right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm the one that approved them. No, I'm just playing. Scott approved them, but uh, but uh, no. I mean, uh, yeah, I didn't have to do too much, uh, other than just uh, make sure the boss was happy, and he was. So there you go. They're not. Well, I, I, I will say this: they're 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 not as they're not as different as you think, but they are cool. So, cool. well, at least we know somebody's not wearing them anymore. Um, but anyway, um, anyway, um, <laughs> you're bad. I don't want to mention names, Brandon. Um, but anyway, um, you can reach me at social media. Mine's easy at Baby Hebner, Twitter and social media there or Instagram, whatever. I'm confused and done. Um, anyway, great episode, guys. What a yeah, thank you, Daniel, so much for being the savior yes. for the episode. Uh, really do appreciate it so much. You have no idea. And uh, freaking EC3 is something, boy. Yeah, he yeah. is. Yeah, he is. By the way, anytime you can have me on, you don't have to, I don't, you don't have to make weather happen just to get me on as an excuse. You know, you could just ask me straight up, oh, come on. <laughs> cool. No, it was basically the only option I had. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyways, trust me, trust me, you'll be back on again, Daniel. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, now we have now we have Jimmy bailing on me with no weather. <laughs> no, well, maybe maybe a you know, a nice little planned trip with the wife, you never know and Yeah. Hey. Maybe one time we get Brian off out of here just me and Jimmy and do the show. How about that? And, and Oh. Fuck, that would that would be fine. I would love <laughs> Um, you can uh, you can hit up the uh, show's pages at Reffing It Up on Instagram and the Twitter. I uh, want to give a couple shout outs to JD Hoop as well. Does a great graphics each and every week. Uh, he did a lot of work for OVW this past weekend at the pay-per-view. Um, another guy that does fantastic work for OVW for Ringside Podcast and for this podcast is AJ McKay. Uh, dude's absolutely phenomenal everything he does from production for ovw to the production he does for the shows um next week guys uh we're gonna take you know little side street from the ordinary uh, professional wrestling uh talk that we have each and every week but we're going to have in the senior writer for uh fantasy from CBS Sports, Dave Richard on the show next week. Uh, he was also involved uh, with the infancy of the professional wrestling side of CBS Sports as well. Um, so look out for the announcements for questions for him because I know there's going to be a lot of them. Tis the teasing for uh, for football, fantasy football, all that good stuff. Um, so looking forward to that next week. Um, thank you guys for being here tonight, uh, especially for Daniel for pulling me out of a freaking rabbit hole. Um, but for Mr. Jimmy Corderas, for Brian Hebner, I'm RJ with you back here next week on Reffing It Up. One, two, three. <laughs>